Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. We rejoice to welcome to the Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast today, Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McCrary. Dr. Madison McCrary is the lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey. And I have the special privilege of working with her uh, as uh, we lead this journey of pilgrimages of striving and thriving. Dr. Jackie, thank you so much for agreeing uh, to coming out of the uh, background and being a conversation partner on the podcast today. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Goatley, for asking me. It's it's different out out of in front of the mic, but God is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for let. Thanks for agreeing to my uh, pleading and begging. Man, uh, it's good to be here. Glad to have the conversation. So you and I have been working on this project uh, for a few years. We were on the design team uh, that facilitated uh, a retreat conversation with multiple generations of pastors. Uh, that re- and uh, we wrote together our, our proposal that was funded by the Lilly Endowment to support uh, now 50 pastors on a pilgrimage toward flourishing in ministry. And we've been talking about with these pastors uh, flourishing in terms of a tree uh, that may have um, leaves or blossoms or leaves falling away and sometimes only branches and still the tree is healthy and thriving. Would you talk to us a bit about what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? Yes, uh, it's amazing using that that analogy of the tree. One of the, it helps me uh, I think about ministry because of the different seasons you see with trees that sometimes they have leaves on them. Other times they're, and maybe sometimes buds or fruit. 
but other times there are no leaves or fruit, but the tree is still alive and exists, yet the cycle comes and goes. And so I, I think what I think about flourishing in ministry with that, it, that's almost like an affirmation and an encouragement about what it's like to do ministry, because whatever we feel at times, we want to see certain things happen. We labor to accomplish certain things in the Lord and may not see that happening. Even from the standpoint of preaching and teaching that there, sometimes you feel you can, I can read the word and I'm not getting a lot out of it other times, or, or really I'm laboring to really get some interpretation in order to give a word. And sometimes it, it seems of, of a dry season, although God is always faithful in the midst of that. There are just seasons that it, it happens like that, that seem, things seem to really fall and they're strong. They're, they're, um, you're preaching, you're seeing people saved, the, the church is enjoying a season of of ministry, of evangelism, of welcoming in new members and uh, doing some amazing things in the community. And then there's times that, that what happened? You look up and say, well, what happened? We were doing some things and it seems as though we're dropping off. But I also relate that to what I call ebbs and flows. In the first, my first pastorate, I was there 17 years. And I know it seemed to me that there were like ebbs and flows in terms every five to seven years, there were uh, things happening and not, not that ministry and flourishing is always just about things happening. I think flourishing is, is about um, being faithful to God's call and you don't always see it, but just thinking in terms of how things will happen, excitement. Uh, ministry is going, and then people leave, something changes, something shifts, the leadership rotates off. And so after five to seven years, it's almost like you start all over again. You look at your congregation and you've been there the whole time, but somehow it seems like, wow, there are new people here. This is a new uh, group of people intermingled with those who have been here for a while. So I, I see it as ebbs and flows as well. That has been a normal progression of ministry. But I also want to add to flourishing in ministry. I think flourishing is not just about what you may do in the church per se, but as a minister, to flourish in ministry. And I believe that, that we have to be cognizant of the fullness of our life that may be outside of what you do in the church. Having friends that are not in the church and doing things with friends, doing something else you enjoy. In my first pastor, my husband and I actually served as a co-laborers, a team, of in the pastorate. And so that was so much of what we did. We found ourselves that 95% of our conversations was about something to do about church. Even when we were doing something totally different, the conversation would revert back to something about church. And quite frankly, when my daughter was in 
elementary, well, she was in middle school. I volunteered in the church, in, in the school office, and I was answering phones. Something as simple as answering the phones at the middle school, I absolutely loved it because it gave me an opportunity to answer a phone when the fire that needed to be put out, I didn't have to do it. When someone was had a question about, will this happen? And a, a parent is upset. I didn't have to be the one to figure that out. And it also just gave me, when volunteering and other things gave me something to do and something to think about other than just ministry. And I think the, the entirety of that, having the, all those kinds of things involved, helped me flourish in ministry. Or co- what I see has contributed into that flourishing in some way. Well, we've been working with our pastoral pilgrims around uh, what we call a formula for flourishing that holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus servant's context yields ministry content, there's a higher probability for flourishing. And we don't assume that one can just drag and drop ministry that you see somebody else doing somewhere else. So can you talk to us about how your context of service has informed your content of ministry. And if you don't mind, because you have pastored in Virginia in a suburban setting, and now you pastor in New Jersey in an urban setting, could you hold those two or or whether maybe similarities or differences in how your context has informed your content? Yes. I grew up in the Black church. Uh, My family started off as uh, CME, Christian Methodist Episcopal. And uh, so in early days, and then I started going with my friend up the street to the Baptist church about six, six blocks away. And that's where I attended myself with her all of my life. So I grew up in that black church and even the CME church was black when my husband and I served our church. And with my first pastor, it it was in predominantly black church. He did pastor once and I was not in ministry with him. And that again was a black church. So the the singing, the context, all of the things about that that I knew about the black church and had grew up in that, uh, it was just second nature by the time I became a pastor of a predominantly black church. And so now uh, the context moving that, and it was, as you said, in the suburbs of uh, Virginia, So now in New Jersey, not only is the the community context changed being in the city, but I am now pastoring a multi-ethnic congregation. 
that uh, has historically been a predominantly white church. It's 169 years old, but um, predominantly uh, white in its origins. But down through the years, things have shifted. And New Jersey in the area we are is very multi-ethnic. And so I have members who are from the Philippines, India, Honduras, Jamaica, Haiti, Ghana, Trinidad, Japan. And uh, this is the uh, Caucasian uh, Americans and very few African-Americans. And so looking at my context, it when I preach and think, because part of that, your context is when you know your congregation, you think of examples and various things in the, your preaching mode to get a message across to them. And I found that some of the things that are most natural to me is not, if you were going to use an example about um, you know, food or whatnot. You say macaroni and cheese, fried chicken, you know, you're, you're in the African-American context, yes. But in while my folks may eat that, by generally change, looking at the context, they, they're, you know, it's enchiladas, it's falafels. They're very, they're different kinds of foods and different kinds of examples and so forth to take into consideration my members and what is important to them. There's a lot of the issues that impact the people I serve now are different from the, the issues that I served in my previous church. When there are earthquakes and floods in the Philippines or Japan, I have people who are literally affected by that. Uh, people who are concerned about when uh, they would they get deported. There were people who had family members who were concerned about that. So I I had to think about this and who my folks are now and how you preach to them. And so it not um, and and serve with them and alongside of them. That that's been a big uh, change. And so um, the other contextual change for me is my first pastorate was a, a larger congregation that had an intact leadership structure, finances, and volunteers uh, that, that kept really, you know, continued that we partnered with to do a lot of ministry. In my new context, it's a smaller church that has, for various reasons, been in decline and there was conflict. So low financial resources, low uh, volunteers, human resources. And so I find myself as a pastor having to do much more hands-on things than I did in another context, just from, you know, balancing the checkbook or if something needs to be, uh, you know, when we had to switch, the COVID also changed the context again, because we were not on any type of social media. And when COVID shut us down, we had 
to figure out how to do this online. And uh, so I'm not a highly technical, I'm not, I don't do a lot of social media. So this was a very uh, significant shifting in the context for me too, to learn how to do this online. And um, so, so those, the, your context really do shift and you can't just take a, a sermon somewhere else and drop it here, just like you ministry, you know, the context we were saying, you can't just read a book and, or something and, and drop it into every context, but you really have to know that environment and, and your context changes, shifts and challenges, I think, us as a pastor. And I've, I have had some of those challenges in myself, not that the context, the new context is bad, it's a different context that draws on a different set of skills in some ways and knowledge that uh, keeps it real. Even with all of your experience and your training and uh, your, your training outside of ministry, I know you have human resources background, adult education background, administrative background, but it seems like even with all of that, still being in a really different context is an opportunity for you to stretch and be challenged. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's why I said it, God just keeps pulling us. And, and I always say God, though, helps us to do what it is that we need to do. An interesting piece of, that I've noticed about context, even though sometimes a context changes, there are certain similarities, though, that I think are universal. And pain is universal. The pain that people experience when relationships that they have been involved in, when uh, with people who they have worshipped with, been friends with, and and things happen, that that pain is universal. When things happen in in someone's life, a death in the family, or struggling with the sickness, that kind of pain is universal. And so there is a fundamental humanity that regardless of how a context may change is still a, a common denominator that I think Jesus love and God's love is meant to share with all people. Another uh, commonality and universal piece, I believe is God's love. You know, uh, love does not, uh, real agape love has no boundaries. And I believe everyone, it is, it should feel and would like to feel loved and wanted and valued and appreciated, especially in the church setting. So I think there, what, regardless of what the context is, those are two fundamental uh, realities. And I think Christian, um, theologies, Christian principles, Christian activity that is uh, so um, fundamental that it, it can go, should go, and has gone with me everywhere uh, I may try. And one of, one of my uh, desires is to share that love and to help people uh, walk through their pain. One aspect of our formula uh, has to do with how context 
informs content of ministry. But another one has to do with uh, capacity of a pastor and how a pastor's capacity contributes to content. Could you talk to us a bit about how you have either experienced personally uh, or witnessed how a pastor's capacity contributes to the content of ministry? Uh, capacity in, in ministry oh, cap- and capabilities and capacity, uh, kind of looking at that together. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I do have a background in training and development, and I consider myself a lifelong learner. That's what we call ourselves in that uh, arena. And that has really helped me develop a capacity to facilitate learning. As an adult, we use the term teaching a lot. But in adult education, we use the term facilitate learning. And that's to present information in ways to let the the adult bring something to the table. So how can you present something that helps them to gain and grasp what they also need? This is a partnership in that. And I've seen that that capacity to be able to do that has some, again, some universal connections in order to, to help people consider for themselves what it is, how to process this after, and not just tell me, tell you what to think, but help you see what the Bible may say, what Christian witness may be, and you come to an understanding about what God is doing in your life. And uh, that, that is a, a capacity and capability that I found that God uh, can use universally. Another capacity that I have found God doing in my life and is being a non-anxious presence. And I actually developed that through athletics, I think, because I sit down and, and have thought, because I've gone into situations where when, when anxieties are high and everybody's um, upset, Part of what helps to uh, calm the water, so to speak, is that there's someone there that is not anxious, you know. And um, so I didn't realize what that was until after even I, I was placed in my new assignment and I was reading some things about how to work lifelong learning, continuing to read some resources and things to help me understand the context of what I was dealing with, discern what God would have me to do and how God would help me to lead the people that I'm pastoring now. And that non-anxious presence came up. Who's that the, where you can just be with people in the midst of the pain, not try to fix it, not try to condemn anybody for that, but just kind of, okay, when everything else is, you just, is is up in arms just be just be and I got I developed that I know part of that is from being an athlete and uh, because you know that's a strategy used in athletics to 
get the other team so angry that they lose sight of what they're doing. You know, we used to play volleyball and, and one of the, we used to look at who was, who's the leader on that team, who had the worst attitude and we would target that individual and those, those individuals who were like that and really, you know, spike the ball to them, do things to make them upset. Because if that key leader on that team would get so upset, she'd start yelling at the other players on the team. And when she started yelling at the other players, then they got upset and the team fell apart many times, many times. And so I think that in the church, if we want to use spiritualized terms, the enemy finds who the enemy can use to upset the congregation and to, to create these, um, this disruption. And so it is so important because the ones who can keep their composure, understand what's going on, read it. Volleyball was all about reading. Where's the ball right now? And where should I be on the court when the ball is where it is on either side of the court? And I found that to be very, very helpful in uh, pastoring particularly when you're working with people where there is pain in the midst. But no matter any type of conflict, uh, situation, where even where there's conflict, that that can be an important uh, reality. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carey Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry Program. 
Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McCrary, you are an uh, experienced leader, uh, you have multiple degrees, um, formal education, continuing education. Uh, so you, you're a strong leader. Uh, but one suspects you have not always been as strong a leader as you are today. Could you talk to us about an area of leadership where you had to develop as a pastor? Yes. One of the areas, and this this actually surprised me a little bit when I first started pastoring. My first pastorate was, as I mentioned, in a team effort with my husband. We were called as joint pastors. We were the senior pastors one in the form of the two of us as a husband and wife team. And one of the things that I found, because I am an introvert by Myers-Briggs standards, and I and my husband is an extreme extrovert by Myers-Briggs standards. And what I found that I really had to develop my capacity in was walking in my own authority and being comfortable with who I am and not allowing my womanness to get in the way of making me feel disempowered, but to allow all of me into that moment and appreciate what it is to be female and introvert and in partnership with an extrovert. And part one of the um, examples that, that I often talk about, and uh, I've shared this story before that, um, my husband and I had a process. We had what when we, we both preached. Now this week, if he was the preacher, I was the worship leader. The next week when I preached, he would be the worship leader. And so one Sunday, I was the worship leader. So I was in charge of running the services, so to speak. So I'm at the microphone and we're singing the hymn of praise, the congregational hymn. And I'm, I'm leading this song as the worship leader. My husband is in the back of the dais, not at a microphone, singing the words to the song. And he was so loud that the congregation was listening to his words and he was singing the wrong words. And so I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and, and I'm looking at this stuff, you know, 
kind of male female stuff, you know, like, look at this, you know, he, I'm, I'm in, I'm leading and they're following him and he's saying the wrong thing. So, and what, and, and, and I, and I was thinking, I, and I said to him at one time, you know, look, you got to pull it down. When I, when I'm in charge, you got to pull this, you got to pull it down. And then, so, and I found what I was saying is that you need to decrease so I can increase. So in a sense, I'm, I am trying to give, lift myself up by bringing somebody else down. And I, and the Lord showed me, look, uh, 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 no, 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 daughter. Your husband is who he is. You need to be able to allow him the freedom to be who he is. And you need to, daughter, be who you are. You need to be who you are. And when I, but, and the biggest thing was let him be who he was. And that, that really hit me. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. He, he can be who he is and I can be who I am. And in the context of that, there might be moments when I'm, I'm leading the song at the pulpit and he's louder than I am and singing the wrong words and they're following him. So, okay, Jack, how are you going to handle that? Stop, 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 stop. I stopped the singing. And we're going to start this over again. You know, and we just had fun. And it was a, it was, a, and the congregation seems to appreciate that. But that was one of the, the stepping into that, the leadership role. I really had to learn. I think it, it and, and of course, now that when I'm, I'm pastoring now, I'm the solo pastor. So I don't have, uh, a, 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 an equal partner for which I share the pastoral function with. I'm the sole pastor. So that, that's a different contextual frame for me. But I learned when I was in a joint pastorate, be who you are, be who you are, be a woman, be a feminine if you like, and be introverted, but be you. Walk in your power, walk in your authority, just how God created you to be. You're not in competition with anyone. You just, you're here to serve God. And another piece of that is my daughter was young. She was about eight years old when we started this. And so I was bringing her to church, what, pick her up from school, had evening meetings. Then we were like, okay, do we go to this fast food place, this fast food place, this fast food place? And every day, and I'm like, I can't keep, I can't keep feeding my daughter like this. And I'm taking her to church. She's not able to concentrate on her studies because folks are running in and out and that they're in choir rehearsal. She can't concentrate. And so I, it was important to me as a mother 
to make sure that my child had good food in the evening, a place to study. And I wanted to do that. And so I, that, that was just the mother in me. And so I have to be, I struggled a little bit at first because I'm like, okay, if I do this, then I won't be around and they'll see him more as the pastor as they see me as the pastor. But I said, oh, mm, Jack, you just, you got to let that go. You got, you're a mother, be a mother and be a pastor and be, when you, you walk in that with your, with strength with with excitement with joy it really makes a difference and i don't power struggle with people about the pastorate because i learned you are who you are and that in and of itself uh, cause you you so you you are who you are so you be who you be i don't have to fight or power conflict with that and so while I was joint, I didn't do that. And as a solo pastor, I don't power, conf- I don't power struggle with people about who's in charge or uh, do they understand? And is this something about my femininity? Things may come, thoughts may come up. They are realities that we have to face, but those aren't my issues. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? I tell you the most joy I have to several things. Uh, seeing people grow in their faith, uh, just and, and uh, light bulbs going off and, and seeing Christ in a new way that opens up to them and, and God, I love that. Another thing that brings me joy is seeing people have fun in church from the adults to especially the children and the youth to have fun in church. It's, you know, so often church becomes this stuffy place. You have to sit in your seat. You have to be quiet. I love seeing the babies run around and, and dance when the music comes on. And, you know, even sometimes we, we've had children that have special needs and they might scream during the middle of the service or whatever. But just to have fun in church, I think, is, is um, getting the word, but enjoy it. That is something that brings me a lot of joy and of uh, seeing that happen. And, and also when God shows me something in a text, like, whoa, I didn't see that. That's also a lot of joy for me. What's the best advice someone gave you about being a pastor? You know, Dr. Goldling, one that is just to love people, love people. And uh, no matter what, just love people. The the second thing of uh, advice that I have pulled and gleaned is that as for being a pastor is that you have to get used to see to people leaving. Um, you know, it's always a hard piece as a pastor when you see folks leave the church um, and uh, you always wonder, you know, have you done something wrong? Have we failed? Is something not going right? And um, 
But I found that people leave for various reasons. They relocate. They have another job. They they might even move across town. And now don't they? It's easier to drive to the church five minutes away than to drive forty five minutes to church. Jobs transfer. So com- coming to grips with that uh, was a uh, important. Um, reality for me. Uh, and I, and, and I've, I had that experience that, you know, someone I, I, you know, I just never would have thought left the church. Things were going well. They were leaders, you know, just doing, we, we thought every, you know, everything was well, but there was a decision made that they just didn't agree with. And as a result, they left the church. It broke my heart, broke my heart. And but what but I did don't adopt this as a defense mechanism, but that is something that I heard in a preaching conference once as as talking to preachers is that that is something we have to get used to. And I've seen that to be true, that people do come and they go and we have to learn how to just handle it without a lot of over emotion up when they come and a lot of over emotion down when they go. And another uh, advice that was given to me, and this wasn't necessarily about to, to me as a pastor, but a, a doctor told me once, you need to take care of yourself as if it's a second job. And that always stood in my mind because in the busyness of pastoring, the ongoing nature of pastoring, it is very easy to neglect yourself. You care about everybody else, but you, you care for yourself. I can go a whole day without eating or, and uh, various things. And the, the doctor said, take care of yourself like a second job. And that, that let me know, you know, it's, this is not, you have to work at this. It's not just easy, but that was some advice that I have truly worked on applying. There are people who are preparing to be pastors. There are some who are active pastors. For some, things are going well. For some, they're struggling. Some are trying to discern uh, from across the country and around the world. What would be one piece of advice that you could give somebody about flourishing in ministry? I would say... I think flourishing involves more than just as, as a person pastor, flourishing involves more than just what you do at the church. So my advice would be to be sure to take care of yourself. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, my husband and I were always taught in pre-marriage counseling is to do Friday night dating. Everybody can't date necessarily on Friday night, but I, for a, whether you're married or single, because people even think that single people have all the time in the world, but they have life. A single pastor has a life too. And if you can process this on whatever day you want, but I would say, take that family time on uh, Friday night or whatever day you choose for yourself. 
and go out with friends or just sit and chill. Turn your phone off. If you have one, if an emergency comes up, have them call the deacon in charge that night or whoever it is, because most of the time they can get um, in touch with um, you. And over the, over the 30 years that my husband and I have been in ministry and over the 20 that I've been pastoring, I still do that. Now, Friday night is family night. We even set up a rhythm in the church that no meetings and stuff on Fridays, but special things, but not regular meetings. But you have to set it up and you have to stick to it and you have to allow your let your congregation know how important this is to you Um, because you you just don't want your children or families to feel that. Uh, I, they were competing with my love and my time for my mother or my father with the church. They get it all and I get very little. So when they know it's you've got that time set aside and you take it and it's important, I believe it makes a big difference. And I've seen it in my family and others who've done it. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McCrary lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and the learning coordinator for pilgrimages of striving and thriving. Thank you for your generosity of time and sharing your wisdom and insight about flourishing in ministry with us today. Thank you, Dr. Goatley. It's been a joy to work in partnership with you and all of the others who've been a part of this Driving in Ministry program. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it pilgrimages of striving and thriving wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org.